Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This week on the show, we talk to Dr. Wesley Thiessen on Islam, our presuppositions of Muslims, and the recent motion M103 that was passed in Canada. Immediately when a terrorist incident takes place, whether or not it's religiously motivated, almost everybody goes to the idea, oh, it must have been a Muslim who did that. When you actually gather statistics of all the terrorist events that take place throughout all time, it doesn't stand to reason that this has to be a Muslim that did this. Hey, my name is Isaac, your host. Super excited today for actually a really important and timely conversation that has to do with Muslims, Canada, and a recent motion that was passed, you might have heard of it, M103. Uh, Dr. Wesley Thiessen gives us a brief overview of what an average Canadian Muslim would believe, you know, what presuppositions that, you know, non-Muslims should sort of drop, not think about anymore, um, and how we should behave and act toward our Muslim neighbors. So here's my conversation with Dr. Wesley Thiessen. With me today is Dr. Wesley A. Thiessen. He's got his PhD in Islamic uh, history, and he's recently now back in Canada. So anyways, thanks for being on the show today with us. Isaac, it's great to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, why don't you just share a bit about uh, who you are personally and what exactly you do? And also after that, we'll kind of get into how you came to know Jesus as well. Okay. Uh, so I live in Calgary, Alberta. Uh, I was born and raised here. Uh, when I was doing my graduate studies, I spent some time overseas. I was in Jerusalem for a couple of years, and those were very life-changing years for me. I opened up my horizons with other people and other cultures, and I felt like during those times, God gave me a very, very strong love for Arab peoples. Mm -hmm. And I knew that at some point in my life, I would go back and live uh, in an Arab culture. Uh, after that, I got married. Uh, we had kids. Uh, started having kids, and then an opportunity came for me to go and teach English in North Africa. Wow. Uh, so we went to Libya. We were there for six months, and then we spent, after that, 15 years living in Tunisia in North Africa. Uh, and in the middle of that time, or closer to the end of it, I actually came back to Canada to complete my PhD in Islamic history because of the time that I'd spent there and my desire to better understand the people that I was living among and how Islamic law actually uh, was formed. My focus is on the early formative period of Islam. Okay. Wow. And and how did you come to know Jesus in, in all of that? <laughs> well, I was brought up, uh, like I said, in Calgary. I was brought up in a Christian home. Okay. Uh, so I've been a, a churchgoer uh, pretty much most of my life, except when I moved to the Muslim world, where it's difficult sometimes to find a church. Right. Uh, and uh, made a, a decision when I was eight years old that I wanted to commit my life to Christ. There were various times throughout uh, my teen years afterwards, being involved in summer camp and things like that, where I uh, continue to grow in my relationship with with God. Uh, and then at one point, I just made a decision that I was going to commit my future to God as well and let mm. him decide where that was going to go. And have you felt like Christ working in and through the different decisions you've made, especially when it comes to studying Islamic history and all that? Have you felt the, just the guiding of the Spirit in that? You know, uh, I would probably point back to a day when I was in Libya Okay. We were only there for six months, but we lived in a city that was uh, 800 kilometers south of the coastline. So you could say it was in the middle of the Sahara Desert, Wow, a city of about 100,000 people. And I remember very specifically one day where I was doing something and I said to myself, you know, I am able to do this 
only because all of these other events in my in my personal history have taken place. Right. So it felt like yes, I, and I am a very strong believer yeah. in God using the events of our life and the decisions that we make mm-hmm. uh, for for His purposes for us. Right. That's amazing. That's so cool. Well, the jump jump right in here, uh, Wesley. Many Christians, and I, I have to be honest and include myself in this as well, um, we don't maybe necessarily think too much about the religion of Islam and we hear it in the news here and there. We might hear it in a world religions class in college or whatever. Um, but to give us an idea, how many people in Canada would you say actually identify as a Muslim? Well, I checked some statistics out and in 2011, the census identified 1,092,000 people as Muslim, or those people identify themselves as Muslim. Uh, A a local imam here, I'm calling from Calgary, a local imam here uh, says that that number is probably closer to 1.2 or 1.3 million. Somebody else that I spoke to on the phone earlier this morning uh, says that that number is probably at 1.1 million. So, you know, we're we're looking at about a million one hundred thousand people who identify as Muslim in Canada. Okay. Our our population now, according to the twenty sixteen census, is thirty six point four million, and so that means more than three percent of Canada's population would identify as Muslim. Okay. Yeah. And if if my figures are correct, just to give people a comparison, when I was teaching Canadian civilization in North Africa, we talked about uh, indigenous indigenous affairs as well. And the statistic that I was quoted was that less than 2% of Canada's population is Indigenous. Hmm. So now the Muslim population in Canada would appear to be greater than even our own Indigenous population. Wow, that's fascinating. Now, across North America, you have dozens and dozens of people, you know, calling themselves, let's say, Christians. They go to church, all that kind of stuff. Yet they have completely different beliefs amongst many. Um, Now, in my kind of general basic knowledge of Islam, you have sort of two major groups, the Sunnis and the Shiites, and you obviously know more about this than I do, but is this the same for Islam in the sense of having all of these different sort of kinds of Muslims? So in in Canada, would you have multiple different Muslims believing maybe radically different things? There are different sects of Islam, that is true, and the greatest division is, as you pointed out, between Sunni and Shia, Mm -hmm. and many Muslims say this is very similar to the difference between Catholics and Protestants. Interesting, okay. Uh, in addition to that, there are other sects within these groups, and that's why we see um, uh, politically motivated groups now in the Middle East, for example, or even further into Asia. Uh, there are even groups that are more mystical in their beliefs, like Sufi Muslims. Sufi Muslims, though, can come from either Sunni or from Shia backgrounds. Uh, but these people would have some different views. Okay. Uh, even within those groups, you might even get some groups that would say other groups are not Muslim. Hmm. Just as, for example, you might get some Christians who would say, well, Mormons aren't Christians or Seventh-day Adventists aren't Christians. So different groups will have different opinions about who should be able to classify themselves as a Muslim. And this has created a lot of tension, not only in the modern times, but also in history. It's It's been a big point of contention as to who can call themselves a Muslim and can we call other people not Muslim. Right, that's interesting. So, when you think of the uh, uh, the about a million people in in Canada that call themselves Muslims, what would you say the majority be? Are are they on the Sunnis or Shiites or? Well, um, is it hard to say? I think first of all, it's hard to say because I've even actually tried to discover how do these Muslims in Canada classify themselves in in terms of world Muslim population, Sunni far outnumber Shia. Okay. However, when we think about migration coming to Canada, uh, I would think that we have a very large Shia uh, influx into Canada at certain time periods. 
but now I think there are more that are coming from Sunni areas. Okay. So it's very difficult to determine how many are, are Sunni and how many are Shia within Canada itself. So what would a what would an average uh, Muslim believe? So if I'm you know if I meet someone that says, hey, I'm I'm Muslim, or it comes out in a conversation, you know, what can I expect them to believe? So the mainstream Muslims would all adhere to a group of beliefs and practices. Okay. And within Islam, there are six main beliefs and five main practices. Okay. And this is this is a, a very big generalization. Okay. But for example, uh, the first and most important belief that they would have is a belief in God. And within Islam, we even classify this a little bit further when we talk about the idea of Tawheed. Tawheed is the word that means unity or it means one, mm. the sense that God is, is just a single unit. Okay. Uh, and this would be something that would classify Islam then as a monotheistic religion. Okay. Uh, this is also quite complicated. And when we talk about the Trinity within Christianity and compare those religious beliefs, it gets very complex. I bet. <laughs> so the second most important belief would then be about angels. Okay. And then there is a belief in prophets. There is a belief then in revelation, specifically the Quran as being the last revelation of God. Okay. Uh, and then there is a belief in a day of judgment or resurrection day. And the last main belief is in the idea of God's control over our future. Some people call this predestination. Uh, so those are the six main beliefs of Islam. And almost every Muslim would adhere to those beliefs, even though those beliefs might not actually change their everyday practice. Right, exactly. So that's why we also talk about practices of Muslims. Right. And the practices are five main practices. The first one is the Shahada. And the Shahada is the creed of Islam or what Muslims believe. And if somebody was interested, for example, in converting to Islam, all they would need to do is to quote the Shahada with sincerity, and they would be considered a Muslim. So this is what's actually written on the flag of Saudi Arabia, La ilaha illallah wa Muhammad Rasulullah, which means there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is the messenger of God. Hmm. So this is the first practice that we would actually say this. Right. And when Muslims pray, this is also something that is part of their prayer ritual. So prayer is also one of the practices. So the shahada and the prayer, uh, Muslims are enjoined to pray five times a day. Uh, they can do that in private or they can do that in, in, a, in a group gathering. Okay. Uh, a third basic practice is zakat, which is the giving of alms for the poor. Then there is the concept of fasting within Islam. Uh, people are obligated to fast for one month a year during the month of Ramadan. Okay. And the last practice is Hajj. And Hajj is to make a pilgrimage to Mecca. And Muslims are obligated to do this if they have the financial ability at some point during their lifetime to be able to make this trip. Interesting. Yeah, my 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 mom actually used to work at the, uh, the Royal Bank. And she worked with a gentleman there that was Muslim. And he was telling her one day that he was very excited that he was going to be able to take his pilgrimage soon. So it just kind of opens your eyes. Wow, that's crazy that you do that for as a spiritual experience. So what, what would happen in that pilgrimage? Oh, it's a very complicated procedure and it takes place over several days. Uh, uh, one of them is first, when you arrive in Mecca, you need to get into a state of purity. Uh, so you're going to remove uh, most of your clothing, and then there's special clothing for men and special clothing for women to wear. And one of the reasons why they say that we have these special clothes is that everybody then is clothed the same way. Okay. Uh, one of the main ideas within Islam is that we are all equal before God. So when we go into this uh, ritual purity sense, 
then we put on the same clothing and we don't see any distinction between the rich right. and the poor. Everybody right. is the same. Mm. Uh, and then uh, there is a certain number of times that you're supposed to circumambulate around the, the Kaaba, which is a, a building in Mecca that holds a stone in it, which is believed to be the place where Abraham sacrificed his son many, many years ago. Wow. And so it's understood, it's believed in Islam that this is the first place of monotheistic worship of right. the one true God in history was wow. the time when Abraham was there. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, Wesley, when it comes to thinking um, about Islam, especially amongst many, you could, let's say, millennials that are sort of busy in their jobs and all that kind of stuff, and what kind of presuppositions should we, especially as Christians, sort of drop that aren't healthy for us to think about when we consider our Muslim friends and neighbors? So I was thinking about this, and it's quite difficult for me now to actually put myself in the mind of a Canadian millennial, yeah. <laughs> because I've been out of Canada for such a long time. I bet, yes, yeah. Uh, so I just have to try and think about what I've heard, uh, maybe in the media, or what I've o I overhear at the shopping mall or something like that. Sure, yeah. For, for example, the idea that all Muslims are terrorists. Right. So this is a presupposition that you hear every once in a while. And because every once in a while, there's a terrorist incident that takes place. Like, for example, there was just something in uh, a football team from Dortmund, I think, right. experienced some kind of terrorist activity. Right. Uh, something happened in Norway. Something happened in, in France. Uh, the Quebec mosque. There, yeah. There's terrorism that's happening all over the world. Right. Uh, and immediately when a terrorist incident takes place, whether or not it's religiously motivated, almost everybody goes to the idea, oh, well, it must have been a Muslim who did that. Yeah. Uh, and when you actually gather statistics of all the terrorist events that take place uh, around the world throughout all time, it, it doesn't stand to reason that this has to be a Muslim that did this. Right, right. Uh, the, the people who were involved in doing, uh, in committing terrorist offenses, uh, these people are extremists, whether they're uh, white supremacists or they come from a, a Muslim orientation. Right. But to group the entire uh, group of people into that category of terrorism is is it's ludicrous. Really, yeah. it's it's poor logic. So yeah. that would be the very first supposition that I would That's presupposition That's that good. I would wipe off the map. Uh, another one is that all Muslims are uneducated. You know, when I research, especially about Canadian Muslims, it's amazing to see how many Canadian Muslims actually have a very high degree of education. And when you start looking in engineering faculties and you start looking in medical faculties, a number of the students that are registered there uh, from their name, you can, you can see they come from uh, Muslim-majority countries. So, so there is a very high value placed on education within the Muslim community. Okay. Uh, and to say that Muslims are uneducated is unfounded. Okay. No, that's Along good. with that is that all Muslims are uncivilized. This is not true. Yeah. Or that Muslims are backward. Right. Uh, you know, this is just bad logic that people are making assumptions based on unfounded information. Yeah, no, that's very good. And I think you already shared this, but would you did you say that most of the uh, let's say million Muslims in Canada would it, would it, would they be more sincere than nominal, or or how can you sort of you know I can't answer that question, Isaac, and I would hesitate to do that to right. think that I would know what's in the mind of sure. one point one million Muslims. Okay, <laughs> it makes sense. It makes sense. No, that's good. Uh, however, uh, that being said. I think anecdotally, a lot of people, when they move away from their homeland, yeah. especially if they're migrants and they've left their family, uh, if they come to a new place, sometimes in order for them to stabilize themselves, 
they will go back to what their own personal identity is. And so it's not unusual for an immigrant, a new immigrant to Canada, for example, who is from a Muslim background, if they were a nominal Muslim before they came to Canada, in order to try and keep something of their own identity in place, they would then become more religious than they were before. Okay. No, that, that makes sense for sure. But I do know that there are also many, many Muslims not just here in Canada, but all over the world that we would consider nominal Muslims. Right. In the same way with Christianity, obviously. Very, <laughs> right? very much so. Exactly. Yes. Now, uh, you've you've shared and uh, our listeners have heard that you've lived, obviously, over in North Africa, also Jerusalem. So you've definitely had experience living in like primarily Muslim kind of countries and places. Um, when you were there... Uh, I, I know that you were teaching and all that kind of stuff, but what were some ways that you were able to sort of deem as effective in engaging Muslim people with, you know, the love of Christ, with the with the gospel? Okay. Uh, first, I would just want to say that Muslims are human beings. Yes. Just like everybody else. They are no different than we are. They have desires to live life of peace. Uh, parents want to raise their children in a peaceful place, and they actually will sacrifice many things in their own life in order to have a better life for their own children. Mm. Muslims have the same human needs that everybody else has. Needs of love, needs of acceptance, uh, needs of connection. Right. Uh, God, in my opinion, from what I understand from scripture and even my own personal experience, God created us for relationship, not only with each other, but for relationship and connection with him. And as we, as individuals, try to create connection with Muslims. And as we try to understand them, uh, because we want to sincerely know who they are, we want to sincerely understand what what they're thinking, what's in their heart, what, what their needs are. And as we try to meet some of those needs, we build relationship with them that is heartfelt. That's good. And this is what I practice in my own life too, is that when I talk to people and I want to share something that God has done for me, it's very important that I do that with sincerity. So I'm not just doing this because I have some agenda for right. them, yeah. but I do it because I care about them as an individual because they are a, a creation of God that God loves uh, and God uh, wants good things for. Right. And as we, as we grow in our relationship, I actually gain from the relationship. This isn't about me thinking that I'm going to give something to somebody else. Right. Yeah. But I'm actually receiving out of this relationship with my friends. That's very, very good. And have you seen in your own life uh, relationships with Muslim friends do just what you just said, like mutually benefit one another? Definitely. Um, for exa- a very strong example of this is the number of years that we spent living in this in Karawan in Tunisia. Uh, we were there for about 15 years, uh, and we lived in a city of about 100,000 people. And there were very few Westerners that lived there. For a time, I was the only native speaker that was working at the university where I was. Oh, wow. Uh, and in that kind of a situation, if you want to make friends, if you want to have social relationships, you have to do it with the people that are around you who yeah. might not have the same background that you've got. Of course. So in that circumstance, many of my social needs were met because of the relationships that I had with with Tunisians. Right. And I've now come away from there uh, feeling like I've left a part of myself behind. And I have very strong relationships with people there. We're still very closely connected on on Facebook. I made a trip there in October, November, just a few months ago. And uh, we stay in touch with each other. We're we're like we're like brothers with yeah. many of them. Yeah, that's so good. It's so good to hear that. Um, now, as we finish up here, uh, Wes, um, recently there was a motion passed in Canada, uh, M103. 
uh, and it's caused a little bit of, I don't know, talk, I guess you could say. Um, first of all, for those that don't know about it, can you help us explain what this motion is and why it was passed and how it changes things, if it does? First of all, you called it, rightly so, a motion. Right. This is not a bill. Right. So it's not something that's going to become law, but it's to try and, try and indicate uh, uh, maybe a direction that Parliament could go in. So people shouldn't start saying that now a new law has been passed right. because that's not true. Okay. That's unfounded. Uh, there were three things that the motion was trying to do. One, to recognize the need to reduce the public climate of hate and fear. Okay. Secondly, to condemn all forms of systemic racism and religious discrimination, including Islamophobia. And thirdly, to request that there be a standing committee on Canadian heritage to undertake a study on what the government could do in order to combat some of this systemic hatred. Right. And that is that primarily, uh, was this sort of put in place because Muslims um, and maybe others as well uh, were looking on Canadian sort of news and all that kind of stuff and they were seeing a, a hate sort of agenda on the Muslims? Is this why it was passed or, or I guess motioned? <laughs> um, you know, there has been an increasing uh, sense of hate towards Muslims. Uh, between 2012 and 2014, according to Stats Canada data, there's been a doubling of hate crimes in Canada towards Muslims. Mm. The next poll that's uh, expected out is for 2015. So we don't have data yet for 2015. Right. The Toronto Police in their annual report in 2016 also indicated that there's been an increase of aggressive activity and hate crime towards Muslims. Uh, of course, most of the Muslims in Canada live in urban centers. They right. don't live out in the countryside. Right. Uh, and and that's where most of the the hate crimes are, are being recorded. The National Canadian Council of Muslims also puts out an interactive map which indicates where hate crimes are being reported. And they're trying to encourage people to report those because about two-thirds of hate crimes aren't actually reported at all. So there is a, an increase in crime. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was overseas and I was teaching in university, one of the things that I taught about was Canadian history. Mm -hmm. We talked about immigration. We talked about different groups and how they were received in Canada as they were starting to come, like, for example, the Chinese and then the Japanese and uh, Germans and Italians and that sort of thing. And as you see over Canada's history, we have often had a time period where new immigrants have come, that there's been a lot of fear about those immigrants. There's been fear about what their beliefs are. There's been fear about how those people are going to change our nation. Yeah, totally. And there's even been a lot of injustice mm. that's been done against them, just the mm. same as there was injustice that was done against the Indigenous people by, by Europeans when they came to this land. Right. And I think that we're basically seeing a similar sort of thing happening now. Muslims are coming to Canada in greater numbers. Canadians don't know Muslims. They don't understand Islam. Right. And that ignorance is fueling a lot of fear. Okay. And the fear is then just leading people to become more aggressive. Yeah. Uh, you start hearing people shout out things like Muslims aren't welcome here or mm -hmm. go back to your own country. Mm -hmm. And when we understand a little bit more about what's currently going on in the Middle East, many of the Muslims that are actually coming here are coming here because they're trying to escape violence in their own nations. Yeah. Uh, there's, you know, everybody knows now because of the 25,000 Syrian refugees that were accepted into Canada a couple of years ago, that refugees are on their way here. Last spring, about a year ago at this time, I was at a, a refugee camp in Turkey hmm. uh, that was with Syrians. And I just wanted to get some some stories from the people. And I asked one of the guys in the camp, so 
what was it like for you? You know, you were a Muslim, you were living in a Muslim majority country. Yeah. Now you're in Turkey. This is also a Muslim majority country. You're a refugee. You know, what are you doing here? Why are you here? What What's going on? And he said, well, you know, when you're in your home and somebody comes into your house and tells you to get out of your house, basically forcing you to get out and you don't want to go, uh, and you basically tell them, you know, this is my house, get out. As of course, it's a little bit more aggressive than this. And then a, a couple of minutes later, you see your brother's head rolling on the floor. Uh, you pack up your things and you get your, your wife and your children and you leave the house right away. And so some of the people that are coming to Canada now as refugees have experienced such traumatic events. Mm. They don't need Canadians saying to them, go back to your own country. Right. You're not welcome here. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm, I know that most of your listeners are probably from a, from a Christian background, mm-hmm. probably practicing Christians. And I would just say to them, we need to follow what the teachings of Jesus are. And that is, we, we need to love our neighbor. We yeah. need to love the alien. We need to welcome them. We need to accept them. And my experience has been, when you extend a hand of friendship and a hand of relationship with a Muslim, you will receive back much, much more than you're giving out. And I would say to those Muslims that are here because they're, they're fleeing, and even Muslims that are coming here because they're looking for a better economic lifestyle, you have something to contribute to Canadian society. And I would say you're welcome. And I hope that M103 as a motion will help people understand that all forms of hatred and racism are wrong. Those are the values of our Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Mm -hmm. And many people are afraid because they think that this motion is the beginning of Sharia law in Canada, that somehow, you know, this is going to take over what what, what Canada stands for. But there's no way that the Supreme Court is ever going to put aside the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Mm -hmm. So anything that Parliament does cannot disagree with our constitution and with our charter of rights and freedoms. But beyond all of that political stuff is the question that we have to ask inside of ourselves, in our heart, and ask God before him in all good conscience, what is our response to be? That's so good. And you know, that's a perfect place to end this. And I I just think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, And I I was actually impacted when you kind of said a little while ago that a lot of us, we, uh, you know, let's say Muslims are immigrating over here. And because we don't know their beliefs, because we don't know these things, we just turn to fear. And, you know, we start, I guess, doing hate things, which is not right. Um, And I guess like what you said at the end, we just need to befriend them. We need to love our neighbors and we, you know, need to have conversations like this because even just this one personally for me, I needed to hear that. I needed you as someone that, you know, had that knowledge to be able to tell me that because it releases in me this uh, motivation now to be able to go and befriend uh, my Muslim neighbors, you know, so I think that's great. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> Do it, Isaac. That's so go good. Go and introduce yourself, welcome them to the neighborhood and awesome. get to know them. That's so good. Hey, uh, Wesley, thanks so much for spending uh, time talking with us, sharing your knowledge, uh, and I hope to have you back on the show soon. You're most welcome, Isaac. I look forward to hearing from you again.
Well, I hope you enjoyed today's conversation and, you know, gave you some things to think about and hopefully apply to your life as well. And I'd actually encourage you to go and talk about these new things that you've learned with your family and your friends. You know, have conversations that are important and vital to our culture today. If giving to In Doubt financially is something you'd be interested in, it's super easy. Just click the donate button and follow the instructions at indoubt.ca if you live in Canada or indoubt.com if you live in the States. Anyways, that wraps up today's show. To connect with us throughout the week, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you have any ideas for topics or guests, you can email us at info at Also, I'm still overseas in Greece, having a great time visiting some amazing historical sites. You can follow along with me by heading to backtothebible.ca slash Greece blog. Well, I'm Isaac, and next week we chat with pastor and counselor of Alistair Begg's church, Jonathan Holmes. Indoubt Ministries exist to bring a biblical perspective into the relevant issues of life and faith that young adults face every day. For more information, check out indoubt.ca if you live in Canada and indoubt.com if you live in the U.S.